I'm so thankful for all the ways, Hillcrest, that you are um, contributing financially and, and joining in to make uh, this, the, it possible for us to support missionaries uh, here and around the world. And I think one of the most uh, amazing things about that for me is to see the way that we're connected relationally to people who are serving in these ways. That we, uh, we send financial help, which is wonderful, but we actually know one another and we, we get to pray for each other and encourage one another and serve one another. And that's such an encouraging thing because as a church, that's what we're really about, being connected, the big C church. We're going to sing some more songs in a minute, but before we go there, we just want to talk for a minute about this way that we are created for connection, created to be involved in life together. And Jessica, I know you and Dave uh, serve with InterVarsity. Dave continues to. And, and so tell me about those connections for you when you guys yeah. were doing that. Yeah, so for 14 years, I served with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, which is a campus ministry across the country and chapters across the world as well, uh, helping to mobilize students to be missionaries to their college campus, to share their faith, to start Bible studies. And uh, Dave and I both raised support, 100% of our support at the time. Dave still raises support, and Hillcrest is one of our ministry partners. So thank you for helping college students all across Kansas and Northwest Missouri meet Jesus at places like Haskell Indian Nations University and the Kansas City Art Institute and Park University. Um, we have been so grateful for our partners who've supported us in, in ministry for 20 years. And like you said, that's been more than financial support. Um, there's been times we've called ministry partners just on really rough days when um, it felt, feels like the enemy's attacking us or students are making really poor choices, like sometimes people do in college. And um, we've had, about, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Neither you and I made connect. any bad choices ever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we would just be able to share with these partners, and they'd pray for us and encourage us. Um, many of these folks are have become really close friends over the years that we've been able to share about parenting challenges with, or they all call us to pray for them. And we've been so incredibly grateful to spend time over the summers on our travels um, with them, praying with them, encouraging them. So, um, you know, that's been a community that's been really dear and precious to us. And over the years, community has meant so much to us, whether we've been struggling or celebrating. Um, Mops, our Mops group got started this week, and I just want to share with you a little bit of Mops. Can we just get a cheer that Mops has restarted? Yes. If you don't know, MOPS stands for Mothers of Preschoolers. MOPS is especially dear to my heart. I, uh, with another friend, Jessica, uh, we started a MOPS group in Cleveland, Ohio when our kids were young. And um, that group meant so much to me to be in solidarity, to know I wasn't alone um, when I was really struggling with parenting or other things. Um, th that was my community that really came alongside of me. And um, in 2010, after the housing market had crashed, Dave and I were really struggling financially. And it was hard to talk about it with people. It felt really vulnerable and embarrassing, but my mom's moms that I could connect with and share with, um, they saw that we were really struggling. And even though you typically don't get a baby shower for your second or third or fourth kid, um, they threw us a baby shower and provided all the things that we needed, the diapers and the onesies and the meals. Um, and it showed me that opening yourself up to community is important, that people do want to support and help and come alongside when people are struggling. So I'm so thankful that MOPS has gotten started here because I know God's gonna work through these communities here. And thank you to so many of the people who volunteered in nursery or to cook food or to be men or moms. It really makes a huge difference. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering when the FOPS is gonna start. Yeah. <laughs> 
fathers of preschoolers. I don't. You're gonna have to grow your hair out a little. <laughs> Not fop. there yet. Uh, we, you know, when we think about these connections we have with others, this is how we are created. We were created to be connected to others, to be in relationship with others. It's part of the uh, the image of God in us that every person you encounter carries with them the image of God, and part of that image is this creation that we are created to be connected to others, to be in community, because. We believe God exists in a community, that God is one and yet has three expressions, Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And this, this community of the, tri, uh, the triune God is what we are created in, the image of, that God exists in this uh, eternal, loving, serving, glorifying community that invests in one another, this community that so, is such a life-giving, powerful community that it spills over into creation. And God says, I've created man and woman in my image that they can be part of this community as well and learn to love and share life together. We could talk this whole hour about the Trinity and that doctrine of the church, but we'd never get our hands fully around it. But it's part of how we are created. The community of the Trinity is connected in holy love and affection. And, 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 and we are invited into that kind of existence. We see this happening right at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2. God has created Adam, and he and Adam have a, a perfect relationship. They're able to walk and talk and be in relationship together. And even in that, God sees Adam, and in Genesis chapter 2, it says, uh, God says, it's not good for man, for Adam, to live alone. I'll make a suitable companion to help him. And this is why he has a perfect relationship with God, and God still says there's something not good here for Adam. It's the first time we see God saying something wasn't good in his created order and what he made. And, and what it gets to is this idea that many of us think about, when we think about God, we think about our lives, that we have a, a God-shaped hole in our lives. There's this longing in us to be connected to the eternal, to something greater than ourselves. And nothing can fill that desire of our heart except God. We try to fill it maybe with other things, relationships or substances or material possessions, but only God can really bring fulfillment to that, that hole we have in our hearts. And when God says in Genesis 2, it's not good for Adam to be alone, what he's telling us is that we also carry around in us a, a, a human-shaped hole, a, a desire to be in community with others, a desire to be connected to other people, to share life with them, and that God himself will not fill that, that hole in our lives. He says it's not good for Adam to be alone. He's going to create a companion for him. We are not created to be independent, to live on an island, to be fully self-sufficient, living on our own terms. We need each other. We need interdependent relationships, give and take with those around us. Rick Warren is a pastor and author on the West Coast, and he writes about this in one of his books. And here's what he says. Uh, you are made to belong, not just believe. The Bible knows nothing of solitary saints and spiritual hermits isolated from other believers and deprived of fellowship. The Bible says, and then he quotes several little phrases from the New Testament. The Bible says we are put together and joined together and built together and members together and heirs together and fitted together and held together. You are not your own anymore. And Rick is describing this, this idea of the church, that we're to be together in life. And we see it all the way in the early church when the church first got kicked off. And Jessica, you're going to talk about that. Yeah. I don't think it's any coincidence that the time and place God chose to birth the early church and send the Holy Spirit was at Pentecost. And if you open up your Bibles, um, 
in Acts 2, it says that Jews from every nation under heaven were together in one place when the Spirit rushed in and tongues of fire appeared on everyone's heads. Different people and different languages from all different nations, they were there together. So here's a map actually showing where they gathered together. Because oftentimes I would read these places and think, you know, how close were those places? But if you look at it, it's from the Middle East, it's from Africa, it's from Italy. So imagine all these people coming together and what breaking bread would have looked like. Maybe you don't even eat bread. Maybe you eat rice. Maybe you have pita. Maybe you've never seen a slice of bread in your life. Here is this community that I'd is... you bringing a Pop-Tart. A Pop-Tart, yes. Nate would bring a Pop-Tart. Uh, it would be a major, major shift. And, if, you know, think about what, if you've traveled internationally, what that's like. You know how disorienting it can be to hear a new language or see different types of clothing or experience different customs. It can be exciting and scary and confusing all at the same time. I mean, it's like going to Denver and seeing people worship the Broncos, I mean, root for the Broncos. Um, <laughs> you know, it's land. a strange, strange country, land. Yes, yeah. It's a strange land. Mm -hmm. So in Acts 2, it says, after, in, after the people received the gift of the Holy Spirit, Peter preaches, they repent, and they're baptized, and they form this new community because they're so compelled by what the Holy Spirit's doing. So Acts 2, 42 through 47 says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. All things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In that community, they learned how to break bread or share rice or have tortillas together. And they started to see this new type of community. These people had traveled at great distances. And this community was so compelling, they left where they had come from. They needed places to stay and clothing and a new community, a new family. These are people from different ethnicities, different languages, different cultures. And they said, something so amazing is happening here. We want to stay and discover who this Jesus is and what this Holy Spirit means. One of the challenges to communities like this is that we are made up of imperfect people. So these relationships, this community that God is creating in us, is, there's going to be challenges to it. Our pride is going to interfere with our ability to really listen to one another. Uh, the way we settle for shallow relationships will sometimes keep us from finding support in our seasons of brokenness. My lack of empathy might cause others to believe that I don't really care about their stories, that it doesn't really matter to me. Our, our sin, our rebellion, the ways that we push away from God, our crooked hearts will make true life-giving connections somewhat challenging and difficult at times. And maybe you probably don't even need to hear me say that because you have your own evidence. You're carrying around scars that you could point out relationally about things you've been through. But we see this happen even in the early church, that soon after it started, there was already challenges because of the connections relationally that people had. 
Just a few months after what uh, Jessica was reading about the early church start in Acts chapter 6, we read these words. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. From this sharing of everything and selling land and supporting one another, this word complaint starts to come up that those who were from out of town, those who identified more as Greek Jews than Hebrew Jews, they felt like they were being left out. They felt like they were second-class citizens in the kingdom of God where there is no second-class citizen. So you might feel that same way, forgotten and overlooked. You might think that you're too young or, or too old to be useful in God's kingdom, at least in this season of your life. You might think your marital status is keeping you from engaging with God, what God is calling you to. You might feel like your story is, is you don't know enough about faith and to sit with others and, and read scripture together, like they would be talking over you that you'd be out, outgunned in some way. There's a whole group of you watching online this morning and you might feel like since you're not in the building that you don't belong with us, you're not part of what God is doing here. We can often feel overlooked and disconnected because our community is not perfect. God is at work, but we are imperfect people. But these hardships that we face uh, actually can draw us together. And we can support one another and encourage one another in the midst of those challenges. That's why we're excited about our support groups that are kicking off towards the end of this month. These places where people can encourage one another and come alongside each other uh, through difficult seasons, challenging seasons of life. And Natalie Moultrie is our support group coordinator and she sent along a little uh, video this morning to encourage us to consider uh, joining one of these groups if we're not already connecting in, in a community group right now. So watch this little uh, invitation with us. Hi, I'm Natalie Moultrie, your support group coordinator at Hillcrest. I'd like to invite you to consider joining a support group this fall. We're offering three different options. The first is healing heart wounds. We all have hurts in our lives that create these heart wounds. And sometimes we don't realize how these wounds impact the way we think, the way we feel, the way we behave, and even impacts our spiritual lives. But we will unpack that together in this six week interactive workshop. We will rely on the Holy Spirit to bring the healing that each one of us needs. Our other support group is Grief Share. That is a 13-week support group to help walk through the process of grief. Even if the loss of a loved one happened years ago or is more recent, we can support and heal together in Grief Share. And our third support group is Parents of Adult Children. As we make the transition from parenting kids to being the parent of an adult child, there is a big difference and we're going to walk through that journey together as we learn the mis from mistakes and from successes that we share together. Support groups start the week of September 26th. You can sign up on the website. Just go to support groups. We hope to see you there. I encourage you to find that page on our website. And Natalie's here this morning. Natalie, you want to just wave? And she's right over here. If you have more questions, you can stop and ask Natalie. I'm going to sign up. I want to sign up for that parenting adult kids. I've got two adult kids in my life and I need help, so that might be, might be a good one to sign up for me. We're going to talk some more uh, about these uh, life-giving connections that we're created for and some of the things that interfere with that make it difficult sometimes to attach to people well, uh, kind of the hobbled way we sometimes do that. We want to talk about that a little bit and how we can get better. Um, I'm going to invite Mark and the worship team to come back up. They're going to lead us in a few more songs before we get into that uh, part of the morning. And, and Jessica, why don't you pray for us as we continue to worship? 
I just want to say, um, Nate and I get it that community can feel dicey for many of you. It can feel really scary to open yourself up. You might already be listing the things uh, why you don't want to plug in. I'm an introvert. I've been hurt before. People are going to judge me. How do I know this is a safe place? We hear you. We understand. You might be wrestling with questions and doubts, but we still want to tell you it's worth it. It's worth it because the Holy Spirit's moving and can bring freedom and healing when we're in community together. Yeah. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you that you are the friend that never fails, even if our community does fail us. And we pray that you would open our hearts today to the new thing you want to do in our lives, in our church, and even in our city because of the joy that you bring in community through the power of your spirit. Amen. Amen. So good to hear you uh, singing this morning, God's faithfulness. It's our connection with our Father God that allows us to really engage in, in true community. And I think Jessica and I have tried to make the case that we need to be connected to each other, that we're created to have these kind of healthy attachments with others in our lives. And as, as parents, we seek to have these kinds of attachments with our kids, meaning that we're aware of what's going on in their lives. We, we respond to the needs that they have. We want to be available to them to hold them when they're afraid, to advise them when they're unsure, to love them when they feel left out. When, when parents are connected to their kids in these healthy ways, kids can thrive and grow. Our parental attachments will, will either help us or hinder us in our adult relationships. Our connections to other adults in our life, uh, I think about friends or our spouse or other significant others, these re relationships are affected by our first attachment to our parents or our parent. Healthy adult relationships, they just don't happen by accident. They take intention, they take focus, they're, they're built over time. We have to be vulnerable, we have to risk, we have to open ourselves up and give to a relationship so that it can become something. It's construction work that happens with purpose and hope. It's a worthwhile construction project. I've talked about some of the things I've built in my life, some of my construction projects. You guys know a little bit about me, that I'm afraid of electricity, and I love power tools, so that's a dangerous combination when it comes to building things. There was a, a time when my kids were younger. We were living in Minnesota, and I think they were probably seven, five, two years old, and I looked at our backyard, and I thought, we need a, place, a playground, play set out there for them. So a normal person would, would go to Costco or Target and find one of those playgrounds in a box and follow the instructions and you know, put up something beautiful. Uh, uh, but I looked in my backyard and I saw this small stand of trees and I thought, oh, those trees. I can build a playground out of those trees. I just need some two by fours and a plastic slide and some swings and maybe a cargo net. And so I took on this little project of building a playground in our backyard. A couple of long Saturdays and including one particular, particularly traumatic squirrel attack I don't want to get into right now. But uh, here's a picture of what uh, I ended up with after a couple weekends. Hey, no laughter. What is that about? No, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's a little punchy. Um, the picture itself is a little old, so you have to forgive that. But this is what I created. And looking back at this playground, just a few comments I would want to make, a few uh, things I've noticed over time. Uh, one, you see the uh, little two-by-four ladder going up to the slide. Uh, I sanded that some, um, probably not enough, because there were splinters uh, almost every weekend when my kids would climb that ladder to ride that slide down. I think Brenna ended up wearing gloves when she would go out in the playground. 
um, because of the, my poor sanding. Uh, you see the tree on the left there, there's a swing kind of right in front of it, in the shadow of it. That tree had some kind of strange gravitational force. I don't know what it was, but uh, we, we encountered that tree often on that swing. We had a lot of, uh, a lot of bruising, um, a lot of ice packs among friends when they would come over, and uh, it wasn't great. And the last thing I'll say about my, my fun playground set is it was built to three, on three living trees right? Growing, changing, getting taller trees. So after our first summer, and we moved into the second summer, some things that Mother Nature had made some adjustments to the playground set. And uh, what used to be safe was not so much uh, safe any longer. Some needs needed to be uh, addressed, modifications made, but I never was able to find the time to take that on. So um, you might be able to guess this already, but that playground didn't see much action after the first summer that it was in our backyard. In fact, there was another playground about two blocks down the street, and uh, Brenda and August usually ended up there playing because it was a lot more fun than my splinter bruise-inducing uh, playground I'd put up in our backyard. When I think about this uh, playground construction uh, set and, and what I had to do to build it, I think about our relation, relational construction projects, the ways that we, we build friendships and community with those around us. Uh, my, my intentions were good, but the follow-through was, was somewhat poor when it came to that playground. And sometimes our relationships look that way as well. We get these relational splinters, kind of interpersonal bruising that sometimes happen. And it's part of my story. It's probably part of your story as well. We're made to connect with others for, for healthy attachments with those around us. But those don't happen by accident. They take work. And even then, there's sometimes where we get hurt and we have to try again. When we look back on our relationships, maybe there's some themes you see as you look back over your life, as you think about friendships that you had, projects that you did with, with friend, building friendships, maybe there's some themes you see. Maybe you notice some friendships that seemed fragile, that you worried a lot about them, if these people really liked you, if, they were really, if you were really worth being a friend with them, you're worried that you would maybe not get invited to the next gathering. Um, there were splinters in that friendship, maybe you kind of clung onto it and got hurt in that manner. When you look back, you might see friendships that fell apart because there were people you couldn't count on. You were showing up, but they failed to show up for you. Over and over again, they let you down. They didn't put into the relationship what you were putting into the relationship, so you cut them loose. Just too many bruises relationally. You, you just felt like it wasn't worth it. Uh, maybe you look back and see other relationships where your partner didn't seem to be to be able to sit and to listen to what was going on in your life. They, they seemed distracted. They couldn't hold the emotions with you. And that shallow connection just grew apart over time. Kind of like that playground set growing apart over time. And you could have made repairs, but it just, it just you never seemed to get there. And that relationship uh, just fell apart because of that. These relationships don't feel life-giving to us because they're not life-giving. They're, they're not what we need them to be. Many times, relationships like these are informed by our family of origin. The patterns we saw in our family are the patterns that we bring in to our new relationships. And our families were imperfect. And so sometimes, we have to relearn how to connect with people in healthy ways. And for a few decades, psychologists and researchers have been making discoveries around something called attachment theory. And we see that popping up in Genesis chapter 2, and God says it's not good for Adam to be alone. What is being named there is this connection that Adam needed that he did not have. We long for these kinds of connections with others, but our brokenness, our, our sin, our unhealthy relationships make it difficult to stay in those kinds of connections. And before we dig into that some more, I just want to say a couple things about 
talking about psychology and theories and research. And we did this some last week, this morning. We'll probably do it some more next week. And it's a good question to ask. Why, why bring that in on a Sunday morning? We have scripture. Why do we need these studies that researchers have done? But a couple things I just want to say about that. One, God's truth is woven into all discovery. God's truth is woven into to all truth that we encounter. The Bible is the perfect guide for our encounter with God, for, for how he works in the world, for what he calls us to do and to be about in our, in our everyday activities. God's truth brings order to all things. God is not a, a God of chaos. He's a God of order. So he's created systems and, and predictable things in this world and in our lives that we can understand and grow in. So our bodies have systems, a nervous system, uh, the world has systems that work, uh, seasonal systems and ways that our planet moves and operates. The relational realities of our lives have systems. There's ways that we tend to treat others as they treat us, and we can learn about those. There's predictable patterns because God brings order to chaos. Second thing I want to say is understanding these truths about relational dynamics that have been studied and theorized about, it can actually help us have an increased amount of compassion for ourselves and for others around us. Some of us are like heavyweight champions in the boxing ring of our heart, and we're really good at beating ourselves up, taking ourselves out, and understanding some of the systems around us that cause us to live in certain ways that aren't life-giving. Uh, when we see that there's dynamics around us that we just need to understand and grow in, we can actually be gentle with ourselves and gentle with other people and say, you know what? There's an explanation for why this is happening. Let's work through that together. And our response to human brokenness can be grace. I hope that's our response, and it can be as we grow in these things. One more thing I want to say about it is that truth around our mental and emotional lives can illuminate something very clearly, that we are sinners in need of a new life. We have rebelled against God's way, how he created us, the internal wiring he made us with. We've pushed away from that and sinned and broken what is right in our lives. And our sin will always hurt ourselves, and it will hurt others. Our sin, you know, we just can't get around that. When I sin, I'm going to hurt myself. I'm going to hurt Angela. I'm going to hurt my family. I might hurt some of you in the brokenness of my life. It's not always immediately apparent, but the choices we make away from God's way, whenever we choose to push away from him, it's going to pull us towards death, relational death, emotional death, death, personal death. And those who study relationships will also put, often put their finger on this thing we call sin. They might use other words, disorder or other things like that, but we know. We know that they're talking about sin, and the great news this morning is that when we acknowledge our sin and turn from it, we can be given a new life, a different way of operating. That's what Jesus came to give us, a different kind of relationship. There are healthy ways we can speak life instead of speaking death. So attachment theory is one way of understanding these patterns of connection in our families of origin and the patterns that we live into now in our, our own family, our own friendship group, the ways that we have uh, begun to lean into friendships. There are patterns. And when there's a healthy pattern, we, we experience deep and enduring emotional bonds with those around us that help us feel close to other people and connected to them with our, our parents or our, a, a sibling, a spouse, a friend. Our childhood family attachments have an effect on all sorts of things in our lives, our physical health, our social realities, even our behaviors. And there's, there's studies, there's researchers that have studied and proven these things since the 1950s. And, and just one research I'll, I'll just mention here is about, Harvard did a research uh, not too long ago about the physical effects of our connection with our mothers. What they found was that 91% of those who had a strained relationship with their moms when they were children had health issues when they grew up. 
artery disease, high stress, substance abuse, things like that. And that was compared to 45% of those who had a good relationship with their mother and had those kinds of issues. So 91% poor relationship, 45% with a positive relationship, a, a difference of 50% physical kind of expression of disease based on the connection we had with our moms. It's interesting, it's good to know that. It's good to think about that. How, how have my relationships with my family and my family affected me today? There's stories in the Bible that we see that this truth is in action, the consequences of sin that's handed down from parent to child over generations. And thankfully, that's not always the case because of Jesus and his forgiveness and, again, the new life he brings. We can hand our children, we can hand our friends a, a different kind of life, a different kind of relationship, a different way. But we do see these negative consequences of unhealthy attachment in biblical families. I think about Abraham and Sarah, this couple that God came and chose in, in Genesis 12 and said, I'm, I'm going to make a whole new nation out of you, Abraham. I'm going to create out of you a people group that will be my people. And Abraham was 75 years old when God told him this. And he wasn't able to have kids with Sarah. And God said, I'm going to give you a child. And at 75, he was skeptical. And he waited 10 years, maybe 11 years. And then Sarah said, you know what? I, I think we need to help God along. I have a maidservant, Hagar. Why don't you try having a kid with her? And Abraham took her into the tent, and nine months later, Ishmael was born, Abraham's first son. And when Ishmael was 15 years old, God was, did what he said he would do. God was faithful. And Abraham and Sarah had a, a son named Isaac. And as soon as Isaac was born and began to grow, Sarah would see Hagar and see Ishmael. And they would remind her that she didn't trust God, that she wasn't patient, that she didn't wait she tried to take a shortcut, and she was annoyed by it. And she said, Abraham, Abraham, get these people out of here. I don't want to see them anymore. And this broken, broken cycle began in Abraham and Sarah's life. They chose one son over the other, Isaac over Ishmael. And we see Isaac start to pass this down as well. He marries Rebecca, and they have two boys, Esau and Jacob. We talked about them a week or so ago. And Isaac likes Esau, and Rebecca likes Jacob. They choose favorites. And they treated their two boys differently, and that attachment they had with their parents, it had a limp to it. There was a brokenness to it. And it took those two boys decades to work through that brokenness, but it still didn't end there because Jacob passed it on to his huge family. He had 12 boys and a daughter with four different women, and, and Jacob chose a favorite too. And all of his family knew it. Joseph was his favorite son. He gave him this, this beautiful technicolored coat where there's this Broadway show, Joseph in the technicolored dream coat, right? If you want to know if your parents have a favorite, when they give one of your siblings a dream coat and they don't give it to you, right? they got a favorite, you know. And that's how Jacob moved into his family and brought these scars from his past, this system, this pattern that he had seen. And it, it carried on through his boys, that brokenness into their families as well. These are real families that are an example of this modern theory of attachment. So when we think about attachment theory, there's, researchers basically have said there's three or so uh, styles of attachment in our relationships, three ways that we connect with other people. The first one is a secure attachment, a secure attachment style. It means that we are able to trust others and give and receive love, that we understand that we need one another. A secure attachment style tends to uh, allow us to express our emotions with others and, and build good interdependent relationships where, where I help you and you help me. I support you and you self, uh, support me. We trust each other because I'm willing to help you and I believe you're willing to help me. These secure kind of connections create this warm, loving friendship in our families and our friend groups because we trust each other. It's a good thing. 
A second type of attachment is the anxious attachment style. When one holds an anxious style like this, they're, they're not sure of their, how they see themselves. They don't really have a positive view of themselves. They're not sure of their value to others. They, they carry this desire to be connected to others, but they're surprised when they find out somebody actually wants to be their friend. Someone wants to be connected to their life, and they feel a little unsure about it. Is it lasting? Will it be legitimate? And they start to get stressed about these connections. And someone with an anxious attachment style seems to engage with more of an emotional roller coaster or jealousy. They, they have this idea of, it's more clingy in the relationship, unpredictable, moody. And instead of a good interdependence, when you have an anxious style in your attachments, uh, it, you're almost too dependent on the other person. If they're having a good day, you'll have a good day. If they're having a bad day, well, then your day is not going to be great because your, your day depends on them. You've heard that saying before, if mama's not happy, ain't nobody happy. You guys have heard that? That's anxious style of attachment. That's not a healthy way to do life. If, my, if mom's having a bad day, I should still be able to have an okay day. But if I'm attached to her anxiously, clingy, then I'm going to have a bad day too. That's not a healthy thing. Third style here is the avoidant attachment. If one forms an avoidant attachment with their parents, it means that they didn't think their parents would really fulfill the needs that they have. They, they found out that they couldn't trust their parents to take care of some of their needs, so they began to say, I've got to take care of it myself. I can rely only on myself. I, I'm going to struggle to trust others. The whole idea that we are made for community, that we are made to connect with others, feels a little bit foreign to someone with this style. There's often this self-reliance that makes it difficult to be vulnerable to others. Instead of interdependence and community, we might focus on independence and meeting our own needs, our own emotional needs. And this could lead to developing a more shallow kind of relationships that don't really have depth to them that we really are longing for, and we can't quite put our finger on it, but we're just missing that piece. These three styles make up our, our basic understanding of attachment theory. There's so much more that could be said about it, but if, as I've been talking about it, if something about it resonates with you, if you're like, yeah, I think I can see that in some of my friendships and some of my family members, and I just want to encourage you to lean in. And there's people here in the church that are trained in, in psychology and counseling and, and how these attachment styles uh, affect us. If you'd like to learn more, ask me. I can help you make those connections. But based on our relationships and experiences with our family, we, we tend to move towards one of these styles over the others. We tend to kind of lean towards one of them. Now, every relationship is different, different people, different seasons of life, but we often fall into some type of pattern of connection. And those patterns, thankfully, aren't locked in. That's good news for, for all of us, that we can learn how to be in healthy, secure relationships in, in new ways, but we, it helps us to be aware of our internal wiring, our style, and, and how we got there. And one of the ways to move out of that, one of the ways to start moving into a different style, to seek healthy, secure attachments, is to think about how you, t how you connect with God, how you connect with your perfect heavenly father, your perfect heavenly parent. What kind of connection, what kind of attachment do you have with him? He can rewire our poor connections, our misunderstood self-concept. Through his mercy and grace, he can help us learn to trust others and, and trust what he's doing in our lives. We know that we're, we're not perfect, uh, but we've been invited by God to let him perfect us, to let him grow in us a new kind of life, to help work in our hearts and in our minds that we might be able to learn how to love others well and entrust ourselves to them. One of my hopes for you this morning is that you'd look at these three ways of attachment, the secure, anxious, and avoidant, and ask this question, which one of those most closely connects to my attachment to God? How do, how do I see him? Is it secure? Do I trust him? Am I with him? Do I believe that he's going to carry me through? Is it more anxious? 
or I'm not even sure I'm valuable enough for him to know me. I don't know that he's forgiven me because I don't really think I'm worth it. What's that connection look like for me? Or is it avoidance? Like, I don't trust that he's got my best interests at heart. I don't believe that he's gonna carry me through. What kind of connection do you have with God? Because God is interested in a relationship with you. He's interested in being connected to your life. And, and the true you, not the you that you portray, not the, the you that you, uh, the little sound bite you put out on social media, not the you know, category you've decided to fill and you try to make yourself fit into that. That's not what God's interested in. He's interested in the you that you really are, who you really, he created you to be. God is trustworthy and faithful. And if you're looking for a secure attachment, God is the place to start, to anchor our lives to him and, and find our, understanding of ourselves in him. I just want to read some passages of scripture to you that talk about how God sees you and and how he's available and ready to walk with us, how he is a safe place for us. This is from Proverbs 18. God is a strong tower. The righteous run to him and are safe. God is a strong, safe place for us. God will be a refuge and a stronghold for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. He's a shelter we can trust. God is not slow in keeping his promise. Instead, he is patient with you. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. Instead, he wants all people to turn away from their sin. He is patient with us. God is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in their spirits. Even when he doesn't feel like he is, he is near. God is he who watches over you and will not slumber. He won't take a break. He's not missing anything. He is with you, watching alongside. God is not anxious when it comes to knowing you. He is not avoidant. He is here right now and will always be with us. God is a a secure place for us to connect our understanding of ourselves. My hope for you and, and for me is that we'll not just know this truth in our minds, but it will actually be our experience. It will actually be what we believe in our hearts. Because we're called to love God with, with our mind and our heart and our hands, with all that we are. And some of you know that God is with you in your minds, but your heart just isn't all that sure. You may have a hard time believing that God is actually for you, that he loves you, that he's going to take care of you when trouble comes, that he will walk with you through, no matter what you face, that he will forgive you for everything that you have done and thought and encountered. You know he loves and cares and forgives in your head, but moving that 12 inches down to your heart, that can be a long journey. And the crazy truth is the things that we think disqualify us from relationship with God, from from allowing him, for him being useful in his hands, from the work he wants to do through us and the lives of others, we we sometimes think our mistakes disqualify us. The the things we've done wrong in the past keep us from being part of his kingdom, while the the exact opposite is actually true. When we we fail and turn around and receive forgiveness and, and God restores us, we are actually more qualified to be invested in the lives of those around us. Our brokenness makes us more able to invest in the lives of those who are hurting. Our vulnerability with others, our ability to trust others is the glue that true community is made out of. It brings true transformation. So take some time to think about how you're connecting with others, how you're connecting with God. What style of attachment did you pick up from your family of origin? What style are you finding yourself living in now? And with God's power and movement, in our lives, we can shift away from this anxious style or avoidant style and instead find secure connection with those around us. It's gonna take 
work because we have an internal wiring that's already there. We can't pretend like it's not there. It's going to take work, personal reflection, and biblical instruction, and purposeful prayer, probably professional conversations with someone trained to ask questions and guide you through what you've been through. It's going to take risk and being vulnerable in relationships, but, but you were made for this. This is how God created you, to be in relationship with others, to be interdependent with those around you. You were made to carry the burdens of others as they carry your burdens. And this is the community we're seeking to build here at Hillcrest, a place where we understand that we are not perfect, but we learn how to love one another and walk with each other and be vulnerable and take risks to reveal the struggles that we go through because we all go through struggles. We all walk with a limp. We all have bruises. And God invites us to pursue this new life in Jesus together. And that's what we want to be about. So let's ask him to help us do that. Let's talk to him about that. Will you bow your heads and let's, let's pray and talk to God right now. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. Father God, thank you for being a secure place for us, an anchor in the storms of life a firm foundation on which we can build a life. Jesus, thank you for coming and and giving us a model of what it looks like to love others well, to live with grace and compassion, to be vulnerable, to invite others in, to ask for help, Lord. Jesus, you, you did all of those things, and you are an example to us. As we reflect on our lives and we see some of the patterns we maybe picked up from our families or patterns of brokenness and hurt, areas of our lives where we are anxious and and avoidant, Lord, I, I pray that you would open our eyes, that we would invite your spirit to do work in us, that we might grow better at loving those around us well, especially those closest to us, our families, our siblings, our spouses, our our neighbors, that we would learn to love well. And that those limps and those bruises that we carry with us, that you would bring healing and strength, that they would help us be sensitive and compassionate to others. Lord, we thank you that you've called us into community together. We ask you to help us grow in that because of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.